This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. It's the show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. Hey, today our guest is Dr. Robert Luckett. He's an associate professor at Jackson State University in the Department of History, and he's a director of the Margaret Walker Center. And we'll get to know him and learn why he was voted Jackson's best professor. Well, we'll also chat about the latest headlines in the weekend roundup. And to be part of the show, you can give us a call anytime, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio, and we'll be right back after the news. You're listening to Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Happy Monday. Oh, man, absolutely gorgeous out there. A little bit cool. You know, winter just is like that guest at the party that you just keep looking at and going, go home, go home. It's, it's not Saturday morning, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Saturday morning, I about froze to death. It was so cold. But that's okay. It's going to be 105 in about a week, so I can't complain about the weather, definitely. Hey, we got a great guest today. Very excited. He was voted Jackson's Best Professor for 2018. That's a nice title. Dr. Robert Luckett, Associate Professor at Jackson State University in the Department of History, and he's also the director of the Margaret Walker Center. And we're going to talk a little bit about his story. He got a great story. I mean, he and I have been talking a little bit off the air, and uh, I can tell you that this is going to be a great show. You are in the right place, and thank you for listening. Now, I got to tell you that I am completely powered by caffeine at the moment because it was the most exhausting weekend, I think, in my 50 years. What happened? Two things. Number one, of course, I am training for the marathon because oh, right, right. I'm a moron. <laughs> I will put that out there real quick because, really, I don't know why I want to do that. But I ran 20 miles on Saturday morning in Yay. the rain with about a 15-mile-an-hour wind. It was cold. What? It was very cold. Are but you no. trying to condition yourself? What, uh, so that I don't die during what? the marathon? Yes. <laughs> no. that's Running in the do. rain, in the wind, I mean. Well, you got to do it when you got to do it. Slight tornado behind you. you well, know, that, was just, that. that was the previous night. Right. So I, d- I definitely didn't go out running because then I'd be running in circles, very fast circles. <laughs> Might help my time, just depending which direction I was facing, of course. Uh, so that was step number one. Step number two it was prom night. Oh, my. Now, I didn't go to the prom, I have to admit. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm well past that. However, my oldest son did. And you know what that means, don't you? Sleepless night as you wait for, oh, wow. wait for children to get home safely. And, of course, you got the track thing on the phone, so you're tracking every step, making sure they're where they're supposed to you be. You tracked him on prom night? Well, no, we just want to make sure he was going. He Is was that okay. what you were doing? No, my wife did it, actually. Or so. was she trying to be like the movie Blockers? Have you seen the, <laughs> have you seen the trailer for Blockers? Yeah. It is hilarious. No, 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 she was just being a very good and observant mother. So and uh, that's what you want to call it, okay? Yeah, well, you, yeah, okay. Excuse me, your halo ain't shining over there, okay? I am an overly obsessed mom. Yes. I can't admit okay. that. Yes, so you'll be doing the same thing when your time comes. But I will say this: oh, no. I didn't post any pictures because, well, I don't do that with my to my kids. Uh-huh. But my wife did, and I tell you what. 
He's got a great girlfriend. Okay. I mean, she's awesome, and we love her to death. And they they were very good looking together. They had a good time. About a hundred of them rented out the bowling alley together, oh, and wow. they went and did that afterwards. And then he said. Dad, I went to um, an establishment that that rhymes with awful ouse um, to go eat. And I want to give them a plug. But it was a place where I like to eat occasionally. Uh-huh. Nice breakfast fare. And they ate there in between the two things. And he said, Dad, that was that was an experience. It was kind of like the bar scene from Star Wars. I said, well, yes, it was at that time of night. I'm sure it was. But they had a good time. But that meant that I got to bed about... 3.30, which is normally the time I wake up. So it was right. like, uh, so I slept late Sunday and, you know, it was, um, it was good, but I, I, it was a fun weekend and watched a little bit of the Masters. I, you know, golf is one of those things that I'll watch occasionally, but since I've had three melanomas, I just don't go out and play it that much anymore. Right. And if I really want to get mad, you know, I'll just watch the news. I don't need to go play <laughs> golf. It's a lot cheaper to watch the news. So, uh. But anyway, um, watch that. Because one of my running partners, and I'm running with doctors, okay? So the good news is, like I said before, if I drop, they can save me. If they drop, I can draw a funny picture about them. So it's kind of nice to run with a cardiologist. But he got to go to the Masters. So I was sitting there watching it, seeing if I could see him. Wow. Yeah, I know. Lucky him. Yeah, my niece went to the um, championship NCAA game. She nice. attended MSU. She lives yeah. in Ohio with my sister. So just she happened actually, to be in the neighborhood. Exactly. So, she, of course, she was at the game, and we were trying to say, wave, Amber, we, let's see you amongst the thousands and thousands of people in there. She was doing, she was live on um, what Instagram Live or Facebook Live when we were there, and it just took a turn, but she was there. Yeah, and, I, was, uh, I tell you, I, the baseball series this weekend probably helped state fans, you know, recover a little that bit. That was amazing. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw a little, a little bit, bit of it. it. That was crazy. A little bit of it. MSU and Ole Miss, any rival, any. Oh, they, could it, be, look, they could be playing ping pong. I was about to say, any sport. It's going to be a crowd. Chess, badminton, Anything. ping pong, you mm-hmm. name it. There's going to be like, It's going to be bad blood. <laughs> Monopoly. That's what I love. I mean, you got to love it. It's awesome. So, uh, you had a good weekend, I take it. Trust. Well, I had a busy weekend. My weekend, this is the end of the. Uh, we have a professor from Jackson State here, yeah, so you, I might you, as well you, talk about it. I'm getting my uh, graduate degree in. Um, Clinical mental health counseling. So, you know. That's why um, she's always writing notes down whenever she looks at me. <laughs> you know, Dean Porter and the whole crew up there. So, this is the end of the semester for me. I have assignments that I need to catch up on, PowerPoints from Dr. Giles that I need to do, things like that. And I'll, no, Dr. Luckett, you're going to talk about this. Don't you hate that student that waits till the end of the semester to turn in everything they didn't turn in? In the end of the year. That's more than one student. <laughs> Procrastination is fuel. You know that. You know, I actually sometimes work better under pressure, but this semester has just been crazy for me with Jordan. My daughter's in um, eighth grade, so we have a lot of the end of the year thing activities for her. I'm spearheading a lot of that, so I'm trying to balance what I need to do versus what I need to do for her. And it's just a lot, but um, we're going to get it done. Good luck I, with that. Yeah, I know. definitely. I know. I'm about to start my master's. I'm, every time I hear you talk, I'm thinking, "Why am I doing this again?" But I, but you know, that's right. What it are you taking up? Uh, entrepreneurial journalism. Okay. Yeah. So I start that this summer. So. Welcome to my world. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, went to the. I tell you what, got to go something really cool on Friday. Went to the state geography B finals. Huh. Yeah, the state geography B. Yes. yes, my my youngest son was a competitor. He did not make the final round, but uh, we were very proud of him because he's in fifth grade and he did great. Uh, but it was so much fun, and I tell you what, there were ten kids on that stage 
that absolutely some of those questions were just mind-bending. I was going to ask and, you, what type I'm, of questions do they ask okay, in a like, geography okay. beat? For instance, they had a question of like Caracas, um, Buenos Aires, and um, Lima, Peru, together. And then they showed a temperature graph and a humidity graph, and they said, okay, by this, this graph, tell me which city this is hmm. of the three. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I got it right. It's Buenos Aires. But, um, you know, because you could tell by the humidity, the other two are fairly, fairly arid and they're fairly dry and, and warmer. But it was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, for a fifth or a sixth grader to know these things. And then they would throw out a river that would be in, say, Czechoslovakia and, you know, name where this river is, what, border, what countries border it. I mean, and these kids were just knocking out the answers. Wow. And it was very, very impressive. And the young man who won it um, – I, you know, I'm sorry I should have written down the names because that's – but uh, it was just – I'm so proud of him, and I'm proud of the number two. And, and the young man who was number three, they were all very bright young men. And there were some girls in it too, and I was glad to see that also. Do but, they go on to a national? Yes. The winner goes on to D.C. against some hyper and really super smart kids that if you ever watch, you know, just Google National Geographic uh, – Video, you know, geography B, <laughs> and your your mind will be blown wow. because it's really good. Now, I will say this: that my son, even though he did not win, he did win a really cool National Geographic jacket as a door prize. Uh-huh. So he was quite happy about that, and we needed it because apparently it decided to rain 950 inches of <laughs> rain between Oxford. Okay, guys, let me tell you a little tip here: if you're going to drive on the interstate when there's blinding rain and you can't see, slow down. We saw 15 cars in the ditch between Oxford and Jackson. 15. And I saw three of them actually go off the ditch. You know, they, were, they just they passed me, and then I got past them, and they were they in the, the ditch. ditch. And it was just like my traction control on my car was literally an angel that saved me about three or four times because I see the light come on, and I was like, oh, I just about hide her plane. Friday and night. It was um, scary. Yeah, Friday night was really scary for me. My daughter spent the night with her friend, and um, I left here real late, and I called her. I said, um, are you guys hungry, being a good mom that I am? And she said yes. And I'm like, oh, well, I stopped to get them something to eat. And it was pouring. I, when you say could not see in front of oh, you, was a frog that was kind of scary. Yeah. So I did not get back on the highway. It took me a long time to get home, but I went through the streets. I just felt safer for some reason because, like you said, you can't drive for everyone. And no. people are speeding past you, and they can't. They might not see me, and I don't want to get hit from them. So I decided to go on the streets, take about 30 extra minutes to get home, but I did it just to be on the safe side and i definitely respect the profession of truck driving and i I appreciate the role that they do of getting us everything that we need on a timely basis however there are about three or four trucks that just about killed everybody (laughs) because apparently they don't have to worry about hydroplaning or whatever and they were driving really fast and Mm. throwing spray so it was one of those deals where i literally when we got to canton um we got out of the storm and my fingers were gripping the steering wheel so hard that they were they they're still sore that's how long that drive home so that said, um, and of course, my son's other son's track meet for some reason got canceled. I don't understand why. I guess because it would turn into a swim meet. Right? right. But anyway, that was my weekend. It was good. Uh, the congratulations to all the kids that were in the state geography B. I just want to let you know I'm very proud of you uh, as a dad, but also as just a guy sitting there watching it going, okay, I need to look back. And they had giant maps that you could take your shoes off and walk on, like of North America and of wow. Mississippi. That was really cool. I was geeking out. It was good. I love me some geography. Well, I tell you what, we have got an incredibly sharp guest in today, somebody that I'm really... Tell you what, I'm not a little guy, right? I know. And you're not a little person either. You know, we're both pretty tall people. We're dwarfs compared yes. to him. We're little tiny... Because he's like six eight. But you know what? He's statue... What's the word? Statuesque? 
I like that. I'm I, not statuesque. I, no, he's like scary. No. He's like huge. He's like you a know monster. what? I like the word statuette. That's what we're going to say, Dr. Lucky, you're statuette. No, well, he, he's, uh, he's a giant amongst his peers. I how love that? that. I love That's that. Academically and, of course, top Oh, I love it. I like how you did that spin on that. Well, thank you, because he's bigger <laughs> than me. I don't want him beating me up. So there you go. Dr. Lucky will be joining us here in just a half second. And you're, I mean, it's going to be a great show. So yeah. stay tuned. And we're going to take a quick break. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Happy Monday, and thank you for listening. Well, our guest today must be the coolest professor around because he was voted Jackson's Best Professor in 2018. Uh, he was also probably voted tallest and a coolest beard. Got a great beard, too. Anyway, welcome to the show, professor and author and speaker and father and... Um, and Jackson native. Yeah, you got yeah. it. Thanks. Dr. Robert Luckett. It's good to see you. Good to you. be here. Yeah, yeah, thanks for being in. Yeah, it's fun. I'm glad to be here. You ended up back home. I mean, you grew up in Jackson. Yeah, born and raised yeah. in Jackson. Went to school down in Rankin County at Richland High School. And mm-hmm. Went off for college. Didn't necessarily know or expect uh, to be back, but came back over nine years ago now. Yeah. Uh, tell everybody once you went to college, because you went to a pretty... Um, a pretty prestigious place. Yeah, I went to a place called Yale yes. uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah. Um, it was by great luck that one day I received an application in the mail that had the word Yale across it. Mm-hmm. Um, did not expect to go to an Ivy League school or go to school in the Northeast, um, but applied primarily out of name recognition and because my mother made me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, well, then there's uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I got in. You know, I, I was thinking good schools. My parents were both Millsaps alums. That was a place that I thought I might go, maybe yeah. play some basketball there. At Vanderbilt, WashU, St. Louis, Tulane, places like that um, really had my interest. But then the opportunity came to go to Yale. And, you know, people would ask me all the time, well, why are you leaving Mississippi? Well, for me, it was never about leaving Mississippi. It was about the fact that I had the opportunity to go to Yale. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I can come back. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Really uh, and so I um, had four great years there, stayed and worked for a few years in Connecticut before going on to graduate school at the University of Georgia. I, you know, I, um, I've lived all around the country, too. And of course, I'm from the South also. People just get fascinated just to hear you talk. Yeah, I remember um, meeting my freshman year, a young woman who would be a friend of mine through college, who was from the Bronx, and she asked me if I was an international student because my accent was so thick. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yes, I um, am. I'm from, from I'm from the exotic land of Mississippi. Mississippi, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but I realized that I, even as a white male from Mississippi, represented diversity. Yes. Right? I mean, I went to a public high school in Mississippi. There weren't a lot of us walking around the Yale campus. And so, and after a while at Yale, you realize Yale students are all looking at each other going, how did we get in? Yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody's thinking the same thing. Uh, and it's a remarkable place because what you have are um, 
a handful of people there who are just smarter than everybody else. Yeah. And then everybody else who just works hard and wants to get the most out of their education and people who also play hard and do lots of really cool things. So it's a remarkable place to spend four years for college. You're, you're a fan of public education. I, I am too. Um, I'm product of public schools. I think you obviously <laughs> must have done a little better than I did. Uh, but Talk about that because, I mean, it is possible, obviously, to get a public education and end up in an Ivy League school. What do you think the secret was for you? Well, I mean, my parents. Yeah, okay. For, first there you go. Foremost. That's what I was looking for. I kind of figured they yeah, must be pretty um, special. Parents who, who pushed me and yeah. encouraged me and who expected me to, um, to do well. And just kind of my own drive and desire to do the best that I could. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of my, I guess, own internal competitive factor. But... Um, you know, at Richland in Rankin County, um, I had great teachers. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I, you know, I had individuals who impacted me in a way, who encouraged me, who challenged me, and uh, I think that public education, at its best, does that, and and can be something that helps to level a playing field as much as possible. Um, for all people. When you're actually sitting down the first day and you're starting to teach, I'm sure you were thinking of those teachers and thinking about how they impacted you and how you could impact other students. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And I, I thought about, you know, as a historian, learning history, even in high school from uh, a man named Richard Wilkinson, who still lives here in this area and uh, who taught history in a way that wasn't memorization of dates and names right. and regurgitation. <laughs> Um, and instead was about a love of history and what happened in the past and how that continues to impact us. And to me, that's what makes history powerful and why I like being a history professor. And that was the point early on that you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go history. Actually, um, no, because okay. as an undergraduate, I was a political science major. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, I, and it was primarily because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Luckily, I figured that out. <laughs> yeah, that could have been painful. Yeah. If you had not. Um, yeah. And had very good... Uh, mentors in uh, my undergraduate years at Yale, um, particularly a, a historian there named Dr. Glenda Gilmore, who encouraged me to think about um, graduate school in history and not go to law school. And as I began thinking about what I actually wanted to do with my life, all of those experiences combined led me to decide to go in a different um, direction that was, um, I guess, uh, less beneficial to the bottom line in terms of my pocketbook, but right. <laughs> but perhaps drove me in a way that I, I think I'm much happier for the decisions I made. And so you decided to go back to the South. You went to the University of Georgia. I did. Um, you know, I I knew that I wanted to do civil rights history. Right. I had taking taken a lot of history classes at Yale, written a senior essay, senior thesis on Emmett Till. Um, my political science advisor said. This would be a great senior essay if you had been a history major, which was probably a sign <laughs> that I wasn't yeah. meant to be a political scientist or a lawyer. Uh, and the really the best programs in Southern history are all in the South. So I applied to, you know, Georgia and North Carolina and Ole Miss and all the ones that you could probably name off the top of your head. And um, it became fairly easy when Georgia offered me more money than anybody else did. Isn't so, it funny how that influenced yeah, you? Yeah. So hmm. I ended up in Go Athens, dogs. but had great uh, mentors there, great um, scholars that I had a chance to work with, and an incredible cohort of fellow graduate students that just created an environment that was 
really amazing. Yeah, Athens was a great place to be for those years. And they got good music there, too. Good music. Um, as a poor graduate student, it is a place that you can survive on almost nothing. <laughs> nothing, exactly. <laughs> Raymond noodles and, and good times. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's exactly right. And, and when you're in graduate school, you know, you really are um, focused in a way that uh, – you don't branch out beyond your department very much. Right. <laughs> and so to have a good group of people around you that was really, um, there wasn't backbiting that was really collegial. Yeah. Um, and strong scholars who encouraged you and worked really closely um, with us made for a remarkable graduate experience. So you graduate, you're thinking, okay, now what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Yeah, and after uh, four years at Yale and eight years in graduate school, I had a few student loans. A couple. Uh, <laughs> and I needed a job. Uh, and so I, you know, when you're on the academic job market um, with a PhD, you don't get to say, I want to go to Mississippi. Right. You, you say, I'll go teach where they have a job in my field. There happened to be, uh, in the spring of 2009, an opening at Jackson State in my hometown, which I applied for, and I got a job and came wow. back after nearly 15 years of being away. Because, you know, I think about, and I think about your, your area of specialty, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but your area of specialty, I cannot think of a better place to come teach and do research than here. No, absolutely. And in, in, in Mississippi, and my research really focuses on the modern civil rights movement in Mississippi, that history is a living history and it continues to impact us on a daily basis. And, um, I don't have to go very far to do my research. <laughs> exactly. Uh, three steps out the door. <laughs> right. Much. Exactly. And now I run an archive too, that I have the keys to, so I can just go downstairs wow. and get into my collection. That's kind of nice. Walker Center, it, which you is, know, you which know, is real nice. it, talk about the Margaret Walker center just a little bit. It's at Jackson state. It is at Jackson state. It's a remarkable place founded by the writer, Margaret Walker back in 1968. She came to Jackson State in 1949, this black woman who has a master's degree from the University of Iowa, who has a bachelor's degree from Northwestern. She had written a book of poetry called For My People that had won this major poetry prize from Yale. Um, and she comes to Mississippi in 1949, which was not the most hospitable place to be a black intellectual woman, <laughs> uh, poetry, um, prize-winning author, um, and yet she stayed the rest of her life here. Uh, and in 1966, she would publish her great novel, Jubilee. Mm -hmm. If you're into historical fiction uh, and you're interested particularly in Civil War, enslavement, emancipation, reconstruction, for my money, it's one of the best wow. ever. Um, it's an incredible book. And then two years later, in 1968, she founded the Institute for the Study of the History, Life, and Culture of Black People, which is, if you think about 1968, the year Dr. King is assassinated, of course, last week we had the 50th anniversary, she founds a Black Studies Institute in Jackson, Mississippi, two and a half hours away from where Dr. King has been assassinated. Right. And she lives in Jackson on Gine Street, which is the street Medgar Evers was assassinated on. So um, living five years after... Um, Medgar Evers has been assassinated on the street she lives on. Mm -hmm. The same year Dr. King is assassinated, she founds this Black Studies program. Um, I, it's art and scholarship as activism, and it's really kind of reframed how I think about the civil rights movement because we think about political activism, we think about social activism, getting the right to vote, breaking down segregation, things like that. But this is a woman who used her writing, her literature, her scholarship, her position as a professor as an activist and, uh, and, and 
ways that were very brave. Um, and so she's at the forefront of this black studies movement. She retires in 1979. We become named um, for her. She makes sure that the institute she founded um, has uh, some longevity when she decides that her collection, her personal papers, should be the basis for an archive there. Mm -hmm. And they still constitute today one of the largest collections of a black female writer anywhere in the world. Um, she In there, um, in our collections at Jackson State at the Margaret Walker Center, things like a personal journal she kept for 60 years, 13,000 handwritten pages. Wow. Um, all of which we've digitized, all of which are keyword searchable. About 40 other paper-based collections. We continue to collect um, artifacts, fine art. Um, we work as a museum, exhibitions, and a lot of public programming. We do a student conference every year. In fact, our Creative Arts Festival, our student conference is coming up this weekend, April 13th and 14th, Friday and Saturday. Um, we'll have 50 students, 14 concurrent sessions in all kinds of fields that students will be presenting their work in. So it's a remarkable place. It's an incredible history, one that I'm very proud of, and I'm very lucky that I've gotten to um, kind of come into and, and experience, especially at um, at this point in my career, because as a civil rights historian, like I said, it has really kind of informed the way I think about activism and think about the past. You know, I, just looking in 2009 when you took that job, you probably never guessed that it would grow into the job that it's turned into. Yeah, um, I was very lucky when I got there in that not only did we have this long history, but my predecessor, Dr. Albertine Harrison, mm -hmm. had the foresight uh, to, in 1988, write an NEH Challenge Grant and endow the center. And so yeah. um, that endowment has given us a stability that has allowed me and my work. Right. And when you add that endowment plus the history of Margaret Walker and her intentions with it being her direct legacy, it gave me a way to dream of what we could do at the center mm -hmm. uh, in expansive yeah. ways. And also, too, she was a good role model for you because, like you just said, she – it, she wasn't like well, some history professors I've had, and you've probably had some too, that teach dead history. You know, no. literally the dates and everything else. But it's a living history. It's no. talking about – because, I mean, you can go – she did it back then. You can do it today saying, okay, this is what happened, and this is how it relates to what we're going through today because it's the same thing. That's right. And, you know, the reason people generally hate the study of history is because they've been taught it poorly. They've yeah. been taught it as that kind of rote memorization. And the reality is technology has made that type of learning obsolete. I mean, right. all of us have a cell phone. The first time, the first thing we do when we want to know the answer to something is pull out our phone and Google it, yeah. right? We have access to all of human knowledge at the at our fingertips. In cat videos. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, so teaching history in a way that is... Um, uh, about how that past informs the present, informs the present, I think is imperative, and absolutely what we have to be doing today. After the break, we'll speak more with Dr. Robert Luckett, and we'll continue to talk to him about his plans for the future as well. If you have any questions or comments for him, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. Your home. 
home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Hey, welcome and thank you. I'm glad you're here. Hey, look, if you're just tuning in, we've been talking to Dr. Robert Luckett. He's associate professor at Jackson State University and director of the Margaret Walker Center as well. We'll be talking a little bit about the Margaret Walker Center. Um, let's talk a little bit about your teaching, because that first day when you walked into the room, you're, and I've taught at Jackson State, too, loved the experience. The students were fantastic. I had a great class. They looked at me kind of funny. They said, something's different about you. Did you have that experience when you walked in the class? Well, I would say not just when I walked into the class, but when I walked into running a black cultural center an archive yeah. on an HBCU campus in Mississippi. Uh, two things I had going for me. One, luckily, um, in growing up here and having parents who had been engaged in social justice issues. Very active. Both, um, yeah. That um, I had some street cred. Yes. So there were people who knew who I was. Right. Um, and... I had some legitimacy in just that, one, I didn't hire myself, so there had to be a reason why the people on campus hired me. Good point. And as a civil rights historian who studies race, I have to be comfortable talking about that anyway. So it's something that I've always been um, pretty at ease with. And as far as my students go, I had that for a little bit until they saw the syllabus. (laughs) (laughs) And and so their attitudes every semester change (laughs) once they see the syllabus. They go, oh, okay, this is serious. Yeah. but I love teaching at Jackson State, you know, uh, having taught as I was finishing my Ph.D. at the University of Georgia, I had a lot of excellent students at Georgia who came from high quality educational backgrounds in high school where college prep was an assumed thing. Right. right? Um but a lot of them, I saw a lot of them, and I loved the University of Georgia, don't get me wrong, but I saw a lot of students, not all of them, but a lot, who might as well have been on a four-year vacation. I mean, <laughs> college was easy for them. Yes. And and it was, you know, it was, to a certain extent, you saw people who took it for granted. Yeah. I rarely see students at Jackson State who take their education for granted. They're hungry. Right. Yeah. They may not have the college prep background sometimes that some of the students I saw at Georgia, particularly elite white students from affluent areas of suburban Atlanta. Right. Um, But um, the students get it. You also get a lot less, a lot fewer blank stares when you talk about race (laughs) with students at an HBCU. Um, They may not always know their past, but they want to know it and they're eager to engage it and to think about it in critical ways um, without, um, I guess, uh, just inherent skepticism that you could talk about race at all. And, And when you teach in predominantly white institutions, there's a lot of skepticism when it comes to talking about race. And so it's something I'm comfortable with. It's something that I think after nine years, people are less surprised to see me walking That's true. around campus. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly something that I was, I recognized. I was prepared to answer. And like I said, I had a little bit of street cred thanks to my parents. We got a caller. We've got Frank, who's in Jackson, has got a comment for you. Hey, Frank, welcome to the show. Yes, good morning, Dr. Luckett. I remember when you first showed up on campus and uh, Alpha Teen Harrison was squiring you around and all the looks and everything else. And I attended the first, um, uh, what do they call it, Creative Arts Festival. Right. 
and I was totally amazed and blown away by the the caliber and the sophistication and the intense uh, emotions that the students were displaying in their writing. So I like to stir things up. So I asked the first group, the first year I went, I asked them, well, what what are you trying to, what response are you trying to get to your writing? And it kind of threw them. They really did not know how to answer that question. They normally said, well, I write for myself. I said, well, you might want to think about that. I come back the next year, and everybody had an answer for me. So um, I'll take you've done a great job. You've got a small staff. I am totally amazed at the productivity that comes out of your organization, uh, the schedules. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed that the Clarion Ledger does not report on all of the things coming out of your your, your uh, institute there. They report regularly on um, Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Delta State and USM, but they very rarely have anything on their college briefs page from Jackson State. Why is that? Uh, well, uh, I have, uh, I guess, a long answer and a short answer to that. Uh, you know, as an institution, the Claren Ledger has not always represented all of our historically black colleges. I think we know that, and that's a tough hurdle to get over. Their readership also um, demands things that may not always um, uh, pique the interest of those of us who actually care deeply about places like Jackson State. But I'm lucky in the work that I get to do. I'm blessed to have the Margaret Walker Center. We are a small staff, but we are a strong staff. And as I tell the people I work with every day that we're going to continue to do our work, to the best of our abilities and produce a world-class product that anyone would re- respect wherever they were anywhere. We got Homer who's got a comment or question. Hello, Homer. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, uh, for the doctor, what's, what's your name, doctor? Luckett, Robert Luckett. Mr. Luckett, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? All right. Uh, real quickly, let me go over this. Uh, you have a Ph.D. in history, right? Yes, sir. All right, I, I need to ask you something. I had a teacher when I was in high school. I graduated in 72 out of high school. She had a Ph.D. in history. A uh, very young woman who was a prodigy. She got out of high school at 15. Um, got out of college at in three years and did her doctorate real quick. I mean, she was just really smart, but she was teaching on a high school level. Okay. Uh, this woman and myself uh, developed a relationship. Of course, I was the first somebody who, one of the first groups that integrated Olive Branch High School, and she uh, she taught history. Used to love her class, but she used to tell me sometime after class, she said, home of history, some things did not quite happen like they were reported. And I want to ask you that, too, because, and, and let me tell you this, I thought that Eli Whitney was white all the way through high school. My last year, I actually saw a movie where he was depicted as being white. And I did not discover that until I actually started going to Ole Miss and just started looking at some black history. Um, I wanted to ask you, in your studies and you being involved on a day-to-day with this, what is your assessment of how history has been reported about certain things, and especially African Americans, and in regards to 
I guess if you could scale it, if you could make put it on numbers, uh, one to ten, ten being good. What is your assessment of how history have kind of depicted African-Americans in America? Uh, Well, first of all, generally, history has done a poor job of that. Um, And I would back up one second. Uh, Eli Whitney was white. Um, In fact, he was a Yale graduate at a time when only white men would have ever gone to a place like Yale. Um, uh, History has traditionally been controlled by the powerful. And in a place like America, the powerful have been predominantly white male elites. And so that history, as at least as it's been written and kind of disseminated throughout the American consciousness over time, has done a lot to lift up the elite without exposing the stories of particularly minorities and African-Americans. So generally it's done a poor job and it has worked to reinforce the power of the white elite. Um, the good thing now is that we're at a moment of time where you see historians with a lot more freedom and ability to expand that story and to shine a light on that history and that past and to make sure people understand that you know, when we talk about the African-American experience, that we're talking about a history of real oppression, but also a history of triumph over oppression and the combination of those two things. So we're at a moment in time where I think we're seeing um, a more inclusive story being told, but still the powerful control the wheels of that knowledge in a lot of ways. Michelle has a question, too. She'd yeah. like to ask. <laughs> Dr. Luckett, let me mm-hmm. ask you a question. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, when you just say when you've completed everything and someone asks you, what did you want to instill in your students? What is that one statement that you want your students to come away from with your classes? I'm not sure it's one statement, right. but, but the, the skill that I hope my students come away from my class with is the ability to think critically and to write critically and analytically about the past in a way that informs the present and for them to see the past as something that must inform who we are today. That right. if we just ignore what happened and just said, well, that was the past, that we don't understand how we got to where we are today. And if you don't understand that, you can't fix where we are today. And so for my students, I really want them to come away with a skill that enables them to decipher that past critically and analytically and and, and the present as well. When people ask you, how can a white man add to the Margaret Walker Center? How do you answer that? Well, first and foremost, in everything that I do, I try to recognize my privilege as a white male heterosexual Christian in America. I represent pretty much all the boxes that you could check check off to um, uh, denote power. So recognize my power and privilege and use it in a way that empowers others. At least that's what what I hope to do. Um, Second of all, um, knowledge is not race-based. People have an innate ability to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and if given an opportunity, we can all learn to do anything that we want to do with our lives. And empathy doesn't have to be race-based either. And so those two qualities are things that I hope I bring to my teaching and to my work at the Margaret Walker Center. In addition to recognizing my power and using it uh, to empower others, that allows me to do my work in a way that benefits the community I serve, which is predominantly black. Um, but, you know, beyond the walls of Jackson State, um, anybody and everybody who cares about American history, not just African-American history. And so use my power and privilege, recognize it and understand that and race itself is 
just a construct, something that is imposed on us that doesn't necessarily exist in reality. It has a real impact on our on our lives, and we have to recognize that impact, but it doesn't necessarily have to dictate our knowledge base and, and our empathy. You know, I had a professor, a history professor, who literally changed how I viewed college. I had him in the first semester. It was, um, it was U.S. history. And he would teach the different revolutions, and that was how he did, like three or four in that semester. And he said, you've got to understand that history is you have a big event like the Civil War, a giant rock being thrown into a pond. There's going to be a big splash, but those ripples are going to affect you for the next 150 years. Absolutely. And that's what's happened. You know, Stanley Nelson's documentary that he did recently on the HBCUs was fantastic, and we interviewed him for conversations. Um, The the thing that really amazed me about it was there was just so many things that I'd been taught wrong in school going in. Because like you said, you know, when you get certain people teaching the elites, it's like, boom, you just don't understand what's going on. The people who control that message can control what is being taught. And in fact, I would argue that if we understand what happened in Mississippi, especially in terms of race and power, it gives us a greater appreciation for what people went through and what they experienced and where we are today and what work still needs to be done to get us to where we all, at least many of us hope we can be one day. And your students need to understand the context of current events. Absolutely. And that's that's the number one thing they really can end up learning from your class. A- absolutely. You know, I argue often that the number one civil rights issue of the day is um, access to high-quality public education. Yeah. And the context of public education in Mississippi cannot be understood if you don't understand that past. Exactly. Like Faulkner said, the past isn't dead. It's not even past. Right. Yeah, exactly. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Robert Luckett. He's associate professor at Jackson State University. He's director of the Margaret Walker Center. And, you know, he's an author, too, and we'll talk about his book as well. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join me each Tuesday for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Each week we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental obstacles to family interaction, from depression to handling life's disruptions, discovering things that make you happy, or how to get around things keeping you from your happiness. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Relatively Speaking, part of the Daily Southern Remedy series, tomorrow morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Hope you're enjoying the show. Thank you for listening. I tell you what, I've got a great guest today, Dr. Robert Luckett. He's associate professor at Jackson State University. 
Uh, he ran off to Yale, decided to get some cold weather, decided to come back home. Glad you did. Yeah, uh, they didn't fall God, out. It's hard to believe you've been here nine, back nine years. Nine years, yeah. They went by quick. be entering my 10th year this summer, so. Yeah, and you're not busy or anything. <laughs> you got the kids, you got the, you know, run around speaking, you're, you're cranking out articles and books. Yeah, school board now, too, so that's, you yeah. know, a, a whole nother layer on yeah, top of it all. Yeah, school board. So. Yeah, by the way, uh, <laughs> that was, I mean, that was a pretty... Um, of course, Jackson, if anybody's familiar with what went on with that, and now now you're in the middle of that. Yeah, in the middle of that, we have a remarkable group of people that the mayor has appointed to the board and been confirmed by our city council, mm-hmm. who I think we're all on the same page. That solution could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot yeah. worse. And, and it I, was nothing against the Department of Education, not to get tr- totally into politics on this, but it was like the dog chasing after the car and catching it. Like, what do you do once you catch it? That's right, and I think that's actually... the 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 point exactly uh if you look at the history of state departments of education taking over school districts throughout this country it's yeah. not a pretty one it's not and they're usually smaller districts too that, that's right um and they almost never get out from under it and so um i would give much credit to the mayor and the governor across this vast political divide. I mean, that should have been Nobel Peace Prize right there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, coming together uh, to broker this and the willingness of Kellogg to step in and to yeah. say that they're going to um, to be there as a supporter um, and help us get through all of this. It's an exciting time as a person who, as a father who has children in JPS yeah. and as a product of public education in Mississippi, it's, again, something I care deeply about. You literally have skin in the game. Yeah, very you, much you, so. you, you want the best for your kids. That's right. Yeah. You know? And as, I've always told people that. I said, you know, when I first started drawing cartoons here, I did it because it was my job. Now I do it because I want the best for the state for my children. Right. I want them to actually be able to stay here Right. You know, at the end of the day. So, and I think they will. You've got a book out. Uh, talk about that. So um, my book, uh, Joe T. Patterson and the White South's Dilemma, Evolving Resistance to Black mm-hmm. Advancement, came out of my dissertation. Okay. Um, it's quite different from my dissertation, as books can be, um, but um, generally looks at a man named Joe Patterson, who was Attorney General of Mississippi from 1956 to 1969, generally speaking, kind of the swath of what we considered the modern civil rights movement. And as such, played a very key role in opposing the civil rights movement. It, it, he was the legal defender of Jim Crow in Mississippi. Right, you yeah. usually hear about the governors, but you never hear about it. Yeah, this is the guy who had to craft the legal policy for defending Jim Crow and propping it up. Um, he dies in office in 1969, which was convenient for me because it gives me an ending to my book. Yes. <laughs> I could stop writing about it at some point. But the generally... It, the book isn't necessarily about him. It uses his political career as a lens to look into these issues of segregationist politics and how segregationists evolved. You know, in this kind of national top-down story that's been ingrained in the American consciousness, you have the Civil Rights Movement and Martin Luther King come along, and they won. We got the Voting Rights Act. We got the Civil Rights Act. And thank goodness they saved the South and somehow – segregationists just all gave up and changed or moved to Bermuda or something. Um, And in reality, that's not what happened. The movement never ended. That was a deposed king of England. (laughs) Right, exactly. And in many ways, we're still in a civil rights movement. And there were segregationists are often stereotyped as dumb, you know, bigots, tobacco chewing, racial epithets, spitting, um, uh, just dumb bigots and there were the likes of joe patterson 
who were not dumb. They were very sophisticated in what they were doing and thought they were doing what was right. And what they were able to accomplish was to create a new system of power that reflected a lot of the things that Jim Crow reflected in terms of, of white hegemony. And they were very good at it and really successful. And so the story of the evolution of conservative politics, race-based politics in Mississippi is really at the heart of the book. That sounds good. Um, like a good book. You do a lot of speaking and presentations as well. I mean, you do civil rights movement in Mississippi, the Mississippi plan, the rise of Jim Crow. Uh, this is my century when talking about Margaret Walker. Sure. So you, you get to go out and what's some of the reactions of the crowds when you start talking, when you start talking about topics that honestly, sometimes people get a little tense when they start hearing. I would say generally very positive. Yeah. Um, I um, have had good experiences in talking about Margaret Walker, talking about Jim Crow and the South, you know, to understand again, this past and to present it in a way that, um, tries to kind of shine a light on what happened and particularly Mississippi's role in that past, right. um, with the constitution of 1890, the role it played in inventing Jim Crow disfranchisement, which becomes the key to power over, um, social and economic tools um, of influence. Um, it's uh, been a very positive thing for me, generally speaking. I would say also that many of the places I end up speaking and, and the audiences who are there are often receptive. Yeah. And one of the challenges I find that I think we all face in Mississippi is not just preaching to the choir right. and, and trying to spread this message um, to to folks who may not always agree with you, and that's okay. Not everybody has to agree, but we can respect and learn from each other and create a more inclusive history and story about our past than what has generally been handed down and understand that there's a reason why we're the poorest state in the nation. There's a reason why African-Americans represent the poorest demographic um, in the poorest state in the nation. There's a reason why public education is the way it is in Mississippi and in Jackson, um, that there is a past here that we got to be truthful and honest about if we're going to actually do something about it. You know, I think one of the things, um, obviously, there's many different reasons why this happens. But one of the things is everybody starts hearing about how they have white privilege. And yet they're thinking, wait a minute, I got a mortgage, I got kids sick. Everybody kind of just thinks about their own world and they never have empathy. And it's one of those things that somehow you can teach people to be able to see, okay, this is what this person's dealing with. Yeah. Maybe maybe I should understand a little bit better. Our, our individual kind of anecdotal evidence of going through hard things in life. Look, if you're a human being and you live long enough, you're going to go through tragedy. Right. Yeah, it's just part of the plan. Yeah, that's just the way the, this world works, right? But that anecdotal evidence doesn't trump the systemic reality right. of what power centered on race has brought to and wrought in Mississippi yeah. and for the people of Mississippi. Definitely as well. Where do you see yourself, say, five to ten years? Well, um, luckily, I have tenure at Jackson State, so they can't just get rid of me. So, so this, show, <laughs> this show will not cause you to lose your job. That's yeah, good. Um, That's I am, uh, you know, my hope is to still be at Jackson State. Um, by that time, a, a, hopefully a full professor. And, you know, our, we still have big plans and dreams for the Margaret Walker Center. We hope to develop a new archive and museum for all of our historic collections um, at Jackson State. So I expect to still be here. Well, I hope sometime in the next five to ten years we'll get you back on the show. Anytime. Sounds great. I want to thank you, of course, Dr. Robert Luckett, Associate Professor at Jackson State University and Director of the Margaret Walker Center for joining us today. And now you're talking to production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
Think Radio and is produced by the incredible, the amazing, the fantastic, the wonderful Michelle McAdoo. Hey, look, if you missed part of the show, you can always go to mpbonline.org slash now you're talking. You can listen to old shows, too. It's great. Uh, coming up next, Southern Remedy as well. You can join us next week for Now You're Talking with me, Marshall Ramsey. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>